Season one and season two have passed. We're in season three. We've had some of the most inspiring and encouraging guests. Jonathan Rumi, Noah James, Dallas Jenkins from The Chosen. Those were epic episodes. Our musicians that we've had on Thompson Square, Tyler Glenn from Neon Trees, Ty Herndon, Kurt Bester, Jim Brickman, the list goes on and on. And we had some key people, some therapists, some family people to help us understand through the pandemic, how to deal with depression, anxiety, uh, overcome some addictions. We had Todd Sylvester, we had Cheryl Cardall, my sister-in-law, she's an expert in helping to parent. But this year, I want to dive a little deeper into some spirituality inspiration. In the first episode, you heard from Misty Sharp. We talked about the Adult Congenital Heart Association that's helping countless children who become 18 years old. And you know, they're treated for in the children's hospital, and then they turn 18. What happens? Is there care for them beyond the expertise of the people that saved their lives? So go back and check that out. It was very encouraging, very inspiring. My guest today is a pastor of Emmanuel Nashville. He is TJ Timms, and I love that he likes to be known as TJ, but here's the thing. He's extremely educated. I mean, he holds a PhD from the University of Aberdeen and a theology degree from King's College in London. My parents lived in Hyde Park. I know where King's College is. It is prestige. So technically, you know, he's a PhD, he's a doctor, but he's TJ. And for those that have experienced watching preachers preach, you know, where do they get their inspiration, their drive? Why are they doing it? What is it all about? And I also want to talk with him about the status or status of the Christian church right now, precisely after the pandemic, and what he hopes that Emmanuel Nashville can offer people who are coming from all different faiths. Uh, It's one of those churches where everyone is welcome, no matter who you are, and then the teaching begins. Now, before we meet TJ in person, I do want you to hear a portion, a very small portion of one of the sermons that he delivered about a month ago at Emmanuel Nashville. You can listen or watch any of his sermons on EmmanuelNashville.com. We're in Nashville, Tennessee today talking about Jesus Christ because he's not a secret. The light has not been hidden. It has not been kept under a bed or in a grave. It is on a stand. Jesus is declaring to us here that he did not come down from heaven to make God harder to find. Just as it's utterly ridiculous to turn on a headlamp in the dark and then put it in your pocket It's utterly ridiculous to think that Jesus Christ is hiding the knowledge of God. The whole point is to tear down every barrier between us and sight. Knowing, clarity, assurance. The cross of Jesus Christ is the stand upon which God's salvation shines from Jerusalem to Nashville to the ends of the earth. Sidebar. That's the reason that we don't have secret gatherings at Emmanuel Nashville. You will never hear of one. There will never be one so far as we're following Jesus. There is no secret elder handshakes. There are no inside clubs. We are all insiders with Jesus Christ. The whole point in God sending his son and not sending an angel is to remove any distance between us and God. You are on the inside. Oh, I'm just, I'm just honored to have you here, really, because, <laughs> oh, because when I started going to Emmanuel, I um, wasn't sure if I would actually appreciate it because I usually 
was picking at the time churches based on the music. Oh, yes, yes. Like so many of us do. Yeah, oh, totally. It's a, it's a huge priority, yeah. And I've started realizing that there's such a big movement happening because of the music. You see so many mm -hmm. churches um, with different beliefs coming together under the umbrella of Jesus, like at the Gospel Music Association. Yeah. And it is exploding, becoming one of the most popular forms of music i tend to think it might be the third great awakening oh interesting you know i hadn't thought of that um but if i think about uh where some where i hear some of the best theology um oftentimes it's through uh, music and the interesting thing to me is some of those uh songs that i hear that i think this is great this is just spot-on biblical theology um, the preaching in those churches doesn't match the songs. And I, so I'm, I'm like, how does this happen? I don't understand it. Uh, but there's so much great music right now. It's, there is a, you know, Leland said, love is on the move. And it's in this music. And, and that's the thing that really, you know, 17 years ago started to wake me up. Yes. So when I came to Emmanuel, uh, there was, all the lights were up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there was no focus on the band. Yes. But then John Farmer, who mm -hmm. is your assistant pastor, he got up and opened with a welcome who, like, I was just stunned. Like, in that moment, the way he welcomed everybody there, I, he was speaking right to me. Oh, praise God. That's wonderful. And then you got up and started, you were going right to the scriptures. There was mm -hmm. not this handout, mm -hmm. and you weren't really preaching, you were teaching. Mm -hmm. I was like, I, I gotta go back. I want to go back. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Can I? Can I follow up on something that you just said a second? Ago sure. About the lights, the things yeah. that are manual. I This is because it might be interesting to some people um, because we're in Nashville, and Nashville is. I mean, I feel when I go out of town and visit other churches. Sometimes I speak at other churches, and I sometimes I, I really do feel sorry for people who live outside of Nashville when it comes to music. <laughs> Because every, I mean, you yeah. just throw a stick and there's a drummer, you know? Um, yeah. And it's the, the excellence is just next level. Uh, along with that, though, uh, there's a culture of um, musical excellence that I think if, um, musicians have heightened senses for when someone's trying to use the lights to play on their emotions. Yeah. And so we said, now, I'm not, we're not against turning down the lights or right, anything like that. Right. Uh, but we said from the beginning, um, we don't. We want for people who tour, you know, and they're a part. They actually do the production of, of these big shows to come in and it not feel to them like we're trying to use the tricks of the trade to get oh, them to yeah. respond somewhere. Because there are a lot of tricks in the music industry and in entertainment to yeah. mess with your emotions so you have a feel good moment. But is it the spirit? Exactly. Yeah. So we said, okay, what if we just intentionally strip away? those kinds of things yeah. and, and, uh, and just so that we'll know, okay, this is the Holy spirit. This isn't us messing with the lights, you know? So that was intentional. That's all I'm trying to say. And it's, it's actually, in, it, but it, it, I do like, sometimes I can tell people come in for the first time that they think it's a little awkward, you know, cause I don't think those of us who are not musicians like, yeah. like me, I don't want anybody really looking at me when I'm singing, you know? So the light thing really helped me. But now that I've gotten used to it, it's like one of my favorite things to look around and realize we're having a corporate experience with right. God together. So, oh, but you can't avoid the light anyways, because you're anytime you're the senior pastor, everybody has their eye on you. <laughs> you do have that sense, yes. Yeah, and I'm sure you can feel it. <laughs> yeah. It you is, know, uh... to add to the pressure of what you've, you know, spent your life preparing <laughs> to do. It is a it is a strange feeling. Sometimes I think being a pastor is like being a, a third sex, you know, you just you don't quite fit in anywhere. <laughs> so uh, but yeah, so sorry, I just that, no, that's that was, yeah. I like to hear that you you but, noticed that. And Emmanuel, for, for those listening, Emmanuel was founded by Ray Ortland, who I have right. learned. I, I mean, I, I start going to this church and I didn't realize, like, these are very prominent, successful, well-known people and scholars within the, the, the Christian community. Ray Ortland um, is a writer. Mm -hmm. Barnabas, who is one of your assistants, uh, his father is John Piper, and I know Barnabas doesn't like when I do that, but I get it. I'm the son of a, a prominent, uh, really good man that everybody knows. I just was like, these are just really good people. Mm. 
I, yeah, I, I feel like I've got the kind of like a dream team at Emmanuel and it makes it really easy you to do. do my job. Yeah, I, I love it. I'm not trying to change any of that. Um, but yeah, Ray, um, what I inherited from Ray, I'm so grateful for. It's just not, um, I, I was able to just pick up and start preaching. And uh, he did all the hard work of church planting by God's grace. He and a core team of 40 or 50 people. Mm. Um, and man, I'm just building on that foundation of Jesus Christ crucified. So yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful. But you're, you didn't just step into this. I mean, yeah, to my understanding, true. you grew up as a, as a Catholic. Yeah. So my, um, all of my mother's, my parents are divorced. All my mother's family, um, Catholic. And all my dad's family are um, evangelical, Baptist, most of them. Mm. And so I kind of live between those worlds. I live with my mother most of the time. So I uh, grew up in the Catholic church a lot. And um, I don't really have much to say about it. It was kind of a, a, a sideways experience. I mean, it was not very impactful. That, it's not to say that there weren't great things going on. I just was not interested in being there. And that was pretty much me until about 15, yeah, about 15, uh, when uh, I moved to live with my dad and he pretty much forced me to go to a Baptist church. Uh, but there was a youth pastor there who preached the gospel just basically every time I saw him and really grabbed hold of me. Mm. That was the first time I, I heard the gospel, not to say it hadn't been preached to me before, but it was the first time I was listening. And... Um, very soon after that, became a Christian, uh, decided I want to follow Jesus and and been trying to do that ever since. So, <laughs> so define, define, TJ, what the gospel actually is. Yes, the gospel uh, is a word that comes from the Greek word euagelion, which just means good news. Um, the way that the word gospel has been defined in the New Testament is good news um, so this is a wraparound way of summing up what the New Testament means by gospel. Good news for bad people through the finished work of Christ on the cross mm. and the endless power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So there's a whole lot inside of that, but it's the good news of what Jesus did at the cross. And we call it the finished work because there's nothing that needs to be added to it for us to be accepted by God and forgiven of our sins. And it ensures the endless power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, so the it's the wraparound category of what the bible is really all about the gospel um and i think it's one of the reasons john piper has a book i haven't read it but the title is god is the gospel and i know where he's going yeah. i mean the gospel is the good news of what god has done and that's what the bible is all about so when paul says that the gospel is the power of salvation in romans 1 that's what he means it's it's the way that god saves us from our sins and sets us free on the inside uh, so i'd never heard uh, Christ crucified um, apart from anything that we can add to be accepted by God, uh, any, any works that we can add. I'd never heard that preached until I met that youth pastor. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I, I grew up in the church. I was in church a lot. But yeah. That message never got through. Not to say it wasn't preached. Maybe right. I just wasn't hearing it. <laughs> yeah. I think every denomination within Christianity has a unique approach or the way they package Christ. Mm -hmm. There are so many different denominations that claim they have the truth mm -hmm. or, you know, I believe in the church. Um, can, you, can you kind of know where I'm going with yeah, this? Yeah. To try to understand it for those a, that are not. It's a complicated landscape. Yeah. Out there. I mean, where do you start? Yeah, there's the, there's the Greek Orthodox church. You know, they spring into existence around the year 1000. They're, they're older than the Reformed churches, the Baptist mm -hmm. traditions and the Protestant traditions. Um, there's, of course, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, there's the Coptic Church. You know, yeah. um, there's the Reformed traditions that come out of the Reformation of 1517. So, you know, that includes Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and on and on and on you can go. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's sort of like, where do you start? But the the... I think there is a starting place in that all of those traditions, those um, 
Christian traditions, I wouldn't hesitate to call them that, um, have the, they share a Bible. Now, they might have some different uh, translations, but it's largely the same Bible. And also, they would all affirm the Apostles' Creed. You know, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus yeah. Christ, the Lord, God, and Son. Um, so there are there is a common denominator between them, and that is Jesus <laughs> and the Bible. So that is at least a starting place. Yeah. And so whenever I'm preaching, I want to reason from there. Um, that way, whoever I'm talking to doesn't have to be familiar with a certain tradition to track with me because we're just looking at the Bible together, asking, what does it say? And that's how God speaks to us. That's what the Bible says. That's how God speaks to us. Uh, uh, John 6, 63 is a really important verse for us. Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And Jesus says, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Mm. So how does the spirit of God make us alive? Mm. According to Jesus, it's through his words, which is just the Bible. Mm. Um, you know, one of the last things that Jesus does on earth is walk two disciples through the whole Old Testament, telling them about himself in the Old Testament. Yeah. Which is just to say the Old Testament's about Jesus too, um, for all the Baptists listening. So <laughs> there, there, is, um, there is this common denominator that we can reason from. And, the, and what Jesus is saying to us is that this Bible is how the Spirit of God makes us alive. Yeah. And I've witnessed, I've seen it, it ha not only in my own part in life, but I've seen the look in people's eyes when we're reasoning together. And it's like a light bulb goes off because they are discovering. I mean, God is speaking to them right there through the yeah. words of scripture and they are discovering Jesus. Wow. So, I mean, that's why I feel like that's why I'm on the planet to do that. Yeah. Um, is it important to have the apostles creed as a foundation in Christianity or does that matter if you just have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, I think the Apostles' Creed, it's obviously, it's not in the Bible. That's why we, um, but everything in the Apostles' Creed is in the Bible. Um, so I think what the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed does is it just boils down the essentials of, of our faith. Okay. God is Father. Um, Jesus takes up the majority of the Apostles' Creed. You know, he's dead, he's buried, he's ascended. And, um, and then the Holy Spirit comes in sort of at the end. And that kind of reflects where the church was and on the theological timeline. They were figuring yeah. this thing out. So they didn't talk as much about the Holy Spirit. But inside of that package is, you know, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is who God is. So I do, I do think it's, um, if you can't affirm the Apostles' Creed, then you can't really affirm the Bible. And so I think that's the reason that the two are, uh, are the common denominator together, even between traditions that are so very different. Yeah. I mean, the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, people that come out of the Baptist tradition, for instance, would walk into the Greek Orthodox Church and they would think, what in the world's going on here? Yeah. You know? So the way they do church um, is very different. But at the same time, they, at, the, at the core, whether they realize it or not, they share some of the deepest values. Yeah. So in the Bible, it basically says that the church, you know, the church is the body of Christ and there are many members. Mm -hmm. So like uh, Emmanuel Nashville would be like one, one part of the church. Yeah. And say um, Saddleback Church in California would be another part. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Baptist would be another part. Uh, Methodist would be another part. Is this mm -hmm. is this correct? Yeah. So there are at least four different uses of the word church in the in the Bible. Okay. Um, there is here's some classic Reformed as in the Reformation of 1517 and the whole tradition of theology that came out of that. Here's a, some classic categories that we use, um, and most Catholics as well. There's the universal church. Um, so what we were just talking about, um, when Paul says that we are members of Christ and one another, he's not talking about just the people that he's writing the letter to. He's talking about everyone who's believed in, in Jesus, who's already gone on to heaven, everyone on earth, everyone that he doesn't know. <laughs> Um, who has faith in Jesus. So there is a church that only God can see. Um, now, that that helps us to, in a big category, but it's it's sort of amorphous and big out there. But then uh, there's the church visible. There, there are people who claim to be Christians 
and that inside of that category, we just we have to take people at their word. You know, when yeah. they claim to follow Jesus, we say, you know, okay, you're part of the church, um, because human eyes are incompetent to judge human hearts. We can't tell. Yeah. Uh, so the church visible is a mixed bag. Um, there are wheat and there are tares. There are people who are going to turn out not to have had faith in Jesus, but they they abide inside of this big category of the Christian church on earth. Um, so we. Um, the church in, in that sense is a real is a real mess the yeah. church as god sees it is you know pure uh, but the, the church that uh, many of us have had run-ins with on earth is a mixed bag and has, you know can really hurt you uh, we, we were saying earlier um you know the fact that anybody became a christian in the 90s in a small town in alabama where i lived is a miracle to me it's actually proof that yeah jesus is on the move because yeah. there was so much um there's still many places I know of where you, you're safer to confess your sins in the local bar than you are in the local church. Yes. Because at least in the bar, they're not going to go blabbing it around town. That's right. Uh, so I just want to acknowledge that the church has some real issues. But what we're really talking about is what Jesus is doing. And the fact that there are sinners in the church should surprise no one if you've yeah. read the Bible. <laughs> you said we... Um, in terms of we uh, talking about people that claim to have Jesus. And if they have claim and they're behaving and such, they do have Jesus. We take them at their word. So you're, you're talking as though you have authority. Mm -hmm. But who is that circle of people? Because this is where yeah. we get into, this is where we get into the contention within the church. And, you know, I'm, Right now, I want to be respectful, but at the same mm -hmm. time, I want to. This is one of the topics that a lot of people question: is where do they get that right to say this is how it is? Mm -hmm. Where does it come from? Does it come from uh, uh, did did, an, did God send a, an angel to lay hands on you to give you authority? Where is that authority coming from that you can say this is? Is there is there an underground community that we don't know about? Is there a that's a great question. Where does it come from? A, a pastor's authority is um, from God. He's called by God to be okay. a pastor. Uh, typically, the way that we that we talk about it in, in the Reformed tradition that I'm a part of um, is an inward call and an outward call. Inwardly, I know I'm called to be a pastor. I remember when it happened. Um, Jesus didn't come down and appear to me in person. Yeah. But a switch flipped inside of me and a new desire was awakened. I never wanted, I did not grow up wanting to be a preacher. That seemed like a death sentence to me. What did you want to do? Um, I wanted to play music. No know? kidding. Yeah. I was a grunge rocker back in the day. That's awesome. yeah. <laughs> um, and that preaching scene is like the antithesis of that. Yeah. <laughs> that reality I really yeah. wanted. And a switch flipped inside of me and a desire was awakened. And I went from, I never want to do that to, if I don't do that, then I might as well die. Like that's yeah. what I'm on the planet to do. Yeah. And so nobody could stop me from preaching at that moment. And so that's the inward call, but outwardly, um, I don't, the authority that I have at Emmanuel, for instance, is I've been called by God, but the only way I know I've been called by God is I've been called by God's people. And they have essentially said, we see this in you and we acknowledge it's a gift from God and, and they submit. So the, the Christian ministry is actually in, I mean, Jesus, of course, says this and models this when he gets down and washes the disciples' feet. Yeah. You know, the, the least among you will be the greatest. The Christian ministry is a ministry of submission. Yeah. Um, authority does not rain down from on high. It's freely given. And I think that's one of the missing pieces when we think about uh, church authority. I, 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 the people of Emmanuel Nashville are submitting to me as their pastor, and I'm submitting to them under Christ. Um, in Acts chapter 20, for instance, verses uh, 17 to 38, Paul sort of outlines what his ministry was like. And he says, I didn't cease neither day to admonish any of you with tears. Yeah. So his whole heart was in the thing. You know, he was this, he was caring for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You know, God, that is God's blood, which mm -hmm. is an amazing verse. Um, so the ministry is, is a, 
well, it's like, it's like loving your children, you know, I mean, yeah. that's the kind of uh, thing that's involved here. Not, it's not the CEO, you know, right. You're holding their hand. You're helping them learn to walk. You talk about how you are part of the reformation movement. Mm-hmm. And when I think of that, I think of Alexander Campbell. Oh, interesting. Yeah. There it's, it's a big movement with a lot of, uh, figures and, and heroes and uh, villains yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there are a lot of ways to use the word reformed one of the um, difficulties is are we talking about reformed as in a denomination today or are we talking about reformed as in a, as a tradition of yeah. a way of reading the bible um, th- that's the way I use the word reformed there's a reformed tradition beginning with Luther and others, but it didn't just, what God did in the 16th century was to re, reclaim the doctrine of justification, uh, how we're forgiven of our sins through the work of Christ alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it in, on several, in several countries simultaneously. So it wasn't what Luther was doing. It was what God was doing through key people yeah. um, simultaneously in different countries so that you have the Anglican tradition, which is a Protestant reform tradition. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, Zwingli, <clears throat> Calvin, second generation reformer. Yeah. So there's this whole um, Swiss French contingency over here that has its own tradition. And every, uh, it was like, it was like God said, um, I'm, I'm going to do this simultaneously so that, we're all rediscovering the doctrines of grace together. Mm-hmm. And they, it wasn't as if they, Luther famously didn't get along with the other reformers. So it wasn't, it wasn't like they were forming a kind of coalition, uh, but what they were doing at the same time was reclaiming the Bible. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people forget that at that time, there were very few people who, um, you, you could probably count on one hand, how many people um, could read both Greek and Hebrew Christians could read both Greek and Hebrew. Yeah, you had to be the elite, and only a few were given access to the actual Word of God. Exactly, they didn't trust it with anybody. Tinsdale, you know, was killed. Uh, all these, yeah, well, you're talking about all these reformers. They yeah. sacrificed everything in their lives so that people can actually read for themselves, discover it for themselves, and determine whether or not if Jesus should be their source of healing and everything, their God. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, what Luther was doing was rediscovering the reading of the Bible. Yeah. And so just what we were saying earlier, um, the words of Christ, the spirit of God through the words of Christ was just making people alive. And it's like, it was like wildfire. I mean, it just caught on. And, And it's still going. I mean, the core values of the Reformation um, scripture alone, grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, these things have not been left behind. Right. Um, but I do, they are being built out because the, I mean, even the word reformed suggests that this is an ongoing thing. Yeah. So what we're not doing is, is um, saying we're trying to reclaim something from the 16th century. We live inside of this way of, of connecting, um, way of reading the Bible and connecting with God. And so, you know, if Martin Luther showed up at Emmanuel Nashville, he might be thinking, what, what is going on? Here? <laughs> Where is the uh, communion? <laughs> exactly. Where is yeah. the Eucharist? What are, what are we doing here? Yeah. But when we open he the would Bible. Like the music. He definitely <laughs> the music. He did like the music. That's right. He would. He'd be like, wow, this is awesome. But I think he would recognize the preaching. He would recognize what we're doing and where, where the authority comes from. It's amazing how God leads you if you s- surrender and say, God, just whatever you want. Mm. Something I said after I got my heart transplant, because I felt like one of the, I felt like one of the nine lepers. Mm. How am I supposed to thank Jesus wow. for raising me from the dead? Wow. How am I supposed to do that? And I, I'm in Emmanuel and I start feeling so nourished. Mm. God. So nourished. I, 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 a favorite preacher of mine, Charles Spurgeon, he, um, he has this really great way of, getting to the heart of what what really Christianity is. Hmm. And he said, you know, if you had asked the apostles, um, the people that walked around with Jesus, if you had asked them after Jesus ascended to heaven, you know, what is your, 
what is your doctrine? They would have said, Jesus. Jesus mm-hmm. is our doctrine. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. what's your, what's your, I don't, I'm just riffing now, ministry practice. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. knowing Jesus. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that was, they were consumed with it. He, because he's God. And yeah. when we come to him, we've come, we, we have arrived. Yeah. We can go no further. How could we? And the deepening of Christianity is deepening in love with Jesus. If you're not doing that, then you're not actually going deeper. (laughs) There's so many misconceptions about who Jesus is. And I think a lot of people that have had uh, uh, bitterness in their hearts towards um, Jesus is because they're associating him with um, a church or uh, uh, some type of authority that tried to rule over them and tell them how to live. And I've always believed, and in, in, in help me out here, that they do not really know. Oh, totally, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, so many things are done in the name of Jesus, and that's actually one of the one of the proofs that we live in an evil world. Um, that the most trustworthy trustworthy person in the universe, things are done in His name that are abhorrent. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I want to get to the Bible as quick as I can. Uh, in a worship service at Emmanuel, because let's let Jesus speak for himself. And what we find there is a gentle and lowly Jesus. I mean, he's, for instance, he says, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together like a mother hen gathers her chicks? Mm -hmm. So here's Jesus using, he's talking about himself like a mother. Yeah. And, you know, he's saying, won't you let me put my arms around you and shelter you? Will you let me save you? Um, you know, what What you see in the New Testament is a, a man who is basically love covered over in flesh. There's just never been another man like him. No. And the sooner that we can cut through all of our, we've all got baggage. In, in the South, I should say. I, I, that's my experience. Yeah. In the South, we've all got some kind of church baggage. And we need to rediscover Jesus. Just as God helping us forget everything we've ever known. I like to ask people the question, and I got this from Ray. Where did you get your idea of Jesus? Interesting. Uh, because let's let's just let's forget it all. Let's go to the Bible and let's yeah, get our clean ideas. The table off. Yeah. Let's start putting on the table. Yes. Uh, that was in a book by Terrell Gibbons, a letter to a doubter. Hmm. Clear the table off and then start putting on what you actually know or think yes. or believe about Jesus that has worked in your life hmm. thus far. And then Yeah. And what I find is the nearer I get to the real Jesus, the more I begin to change. My heart changes. That's how he changes us. Not by giving us uh, you know, a list of techniques or 10 steps or anything like that. He actually, he actually gets into our heart. He changes our very desires, uh, which of course changes everything that we do. In the same way that I was called to preach. Um, he, he just does that with everything. And, and he is, he is when, when there's something lodged in our heart that's unhelpful and um, you know, ruining our life in some way. What he replaces that with is not a technique or self-discipline or something like that. He replaces it with himself, love for himself. Um, so the nearer we grow to Jesus, actually, the more moral we become. But morality is not the point right. in itself. Right. He's the point. Right. Um, so actually, goodness comes from just knowing Jesus. And that's one of the ways that you can... You can know this was a big concern for uh, the Apostle John, by the way, in John's gospel and in the, in the, the letters of John, the epistles of John. Um, he's very concerned to point out, probably because false Christians have always been around since Jesus ascended. Yeah. Um, he's very concerned to show that if you don't have love for one another, you're not following Jesus. Interesting. So there is a way to know. Yeah. Am I looking at the real thing? Yeah. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. That's not a new commandment. It's in the Old Testament, right? Yeah. But here's the difference. Just as I have loved you, mm-hmm. you should love one another. Sacrifice, willing to put your life on the line yes. for another person. Dying love. 
Yes. Yes. Which is just seems like something practically impossible for any of us to achieve. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there's so much contention in the world. And tell me, tell me if you think um, I've had this thought that uh, a woman uh, uh, about to give birth uh, and God talks about how his love is more powerful than the woman about to give birth to this child. Um, for me, the woman, <clears throat> the woman who is pregnant represents love and truth is the child. So truth doesn't come before love. You have love giving birth to truth. And who is truth? Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And Jesus Christ was concepted out of love from the Father in order to rescue and heal all of us. Mm -hmm. And then he's, because he came from love, mm -hmm. everything is love. And so the only way to really get truth is from that source. Mm -hmm. There's no other way to get truth. Yeah. And truth is relevant to I me, mean, like our 20, one day on earth is not one day on Jupiter. You know, I, I think we, I, I see what you're saying, Paul. And I think, at, I think we all know this intuitively in that when we see truth, so a claim to truth mm -hmm. and it's missing love, mm. something inside us says, that can't be right. Exactly. Because we know love, love is so foundational, mm. so good it's in and of itself. It's yes. the ceiling power. I mean, the Bible says, First John, God is love. Yeah. Um, now, it doesn't say love is God, as if God is amorphous and without personality. He's not. God, but it does say God is love. And you, you never read in the Bible, for instance, God is wrath. Um, wow. I mean, God, we have to, in other words, we have to push God to wrath. We never had to provoke God to love. That's what's just pouring out of him all the time. Yeah. Um, so there is, a, I think, a sense in which we all know this. We sense it and we know yeah. it to be right, that the, that the true and the beautiful um, are meant to come together or else if you're seeing it, only half of it, you're not, it can't be true. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I forget who, who it was, a social commentator that said, you know, Christians have largely... Um, lost their credibility as a people who know how to love. Yes. And I don't think that's changed since he said it. She said it like 30 yeah. years ago. It's yeah. basically true. When Jesus describes himself, um, his heart, this only happens in one place. Um, he describes what's his, his, his the heart of, of his affections as gentle and lowly. Yeah. And that's who he is. And that's surprising to a lot of us who grew up in churches getting yelled at. It just feels out of step. We don't know quite what to do with it. Yeah. Um, but that's who, that, shouldn't we let Jesus define himself? <laughs> right. Well, so, what so then what would you say to somebody who is like, they've just, they're done with religion. They're done with the church because they've just not, had the experiences that have helped to really heal their hearts and and so now they're you know and i'm guilty of this looking for alternative solutions why why would jesus be the best mm -hmm. option as your source versus uh you know taoism or buddhism why do you why do you think that mm -hmm. christianity resonates it's a great question. I, I don't think I've ever approached it quite, quite through that angle. And it's not theoretical in that I regularly talk to people who have lost their faith in the religion of their youth, whatever it is. And the first thing I, I think I want to say is, well, Jesus doesn't have any faith in that religion either. Um, in fact, you know, the word religion is only used one time in the New Testament, and there it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. You know, like, well, you want to know what religion is. It's this. It's actually loving, caring for orphans and widows. I mean, that's the whole context. So, um, you know, there's a kind of <laughs> quip in the evangelical world of, uh, you know, it's a relationship, it's not religion. And it's kind of, kind of hokey. Um, but there is something in that 
that we all, I think, it can it's a good starting place. Yeah. Because we all know that nobody thrives in isolation. And what, so I think what I would say to someone who's trying to figure out the way forward is, you know, you have to let somebody in. And who can you trust? Mm. Who can actually help? Now, I don't know anything, I don't know much, at least, about Buddha. Um, I don't know much about the Prophet Muhammad. But I've seen what Jesus can do. So this is how I would answer. I've seen, I've seen in my own life, my mm. own heart. Um, I know what it feels like to, to, to live under the weight of guilt or to live with no hope, to wonder why should I even keep going? What's yeah. the point? Yeah. And I don't know how Jesus does it, but I didn't hold up Buddha and uh, Muhammad and Jesus and say, oh, you know, Jesus seems like the most reasonable. Um, Jesus acted on me from the outside mm. when I couldn't do anything for myself. So true. I couldn't drum up faith. I, he gave it to me. Mm. Yeah. So what I'm saying to people is um, he can do that for you. This isn't theoretical. I'm not talking about religion. You can put whatever, you know, denominational moniker you want on it. Uh, but what I'm talking about is a living person who can change you. I, <laughs> I don't feel any guilt for sin. I really don't. And whenever it comes upon me, I, I got four or five daggers from the Bible. Yeah. I just kill it. <laughs> um, I, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who know the worst things about me. I mean, the worst and most embarrassing. I am known. I'm thriving in relationships and I'm hopeful. The world is basically on fire right now. And I'm telling you, I'm hopeful for the future. Me too. Because of Jesus. Me too. I think, yeah. I think he's doing this incredible uh, movement of, you know, we have this love and acceptance. I feel that the love is the only solution to everything. Mm -hmm. um, and he is putting it in the hearts of people that don't even know him. He, he is working in them already. And I know there's that formality of, you know, asking Jesus to come mm -hmm. and be part of your life. But it, I think a lot of times when I read that scripture, he comes as a thief in the night. Yes, he's in us. He did. Listen, Jesus does not need to ask permission. Yeah. Now, that's I'm not saying that Jesus is rude or anything like that. We've just been talking about this general, general and lowly. What I'm saying is we need a sovereign God and we have one. Um, you know, in Ephesians chapter two, we see the very faith that we use to believe upon God is a gift from God. Mm -hmm. So that there's no way that I can ever boast and say, well, it's because I'm a person of faith. You know, yeah. that's why I follow Jesus. So if, if that's true, if we can come to him with nothing and get our lives back, then who, who can't follow him? And I think you're exactly right, Paul, in that. Um, I, I, have a, I mean, I have a verse in the Bible that tells me to think this way. In Acts chapter 17, I see that God is sovereign over the movements of all peoples. He appoints the times and places they live. And the reason is so that they will feel their way toward him. Mm. So when I see, for instance, refugees moving, when I see turmoil, mm. I'm not thinking, you know, oh, everything's going to hell. I'm thinking God is on the move. Yes. I mean, he's moving people around. And the whole point is so that they get nearer to him and they're more open to him. So I'm, I'm, I feel as if right now, even though things are very dark and I'm not playing that down, they are very dark, yeah. darker than we know. Man, I wouldn't rather be alive any other time. I'm happy to be preaching the gospel right now. And I am, you've mentioned at the beginning, I am looking for a third great awakening. I don't know what it'll look like if, yeah. since, the, since the others didn't look like each other, you know, really, um, then I don't expect this one to look like anything that's come before. No, and I, I really do feel that there's this movement that there's always a prelude music before the preaching. And so I think the music is uniting 
the world because right now what we have and you know this is with communication we are shrinking the conversation with the ability to travel and COVID is slowing this down but as I travel throughout the world I'm recognizing that every one of us is the same Mm -hmm. we just want to be happy Mm -hmm. have our families and not get hurt Mm -hmm. and we, we want the best for our kids and no matter what faith you're in, everybody wants the same thing. There are a lot of rotten apples that just want to disrupt. Sure. Disrupt. Yeah. But for the most part, we're shrinking the, we're breaking down all the barriers of, you know, of we have a long way to go on racism, mm-hmm. but we're breaking down the misunderstanding and misconceptions of other people. And that's one thing I appreciate is at Emmanuel is that, you know, it's a, it's not this church of, you know, people think the South, so they think segregation. Mm-hmm. It's a very diverse, beautiful church. It's not all red roses, it's roses, tulips, mm-hmm. and not that people are <laughs> compared to flowers, but uh, no, I get it. It's beautiful. And yeah. you have done such a fantastic job, even last week, of talking about. You know, a friend who is struggling, and you thought he was dealing with sin, but Mm -hmm. he's dealing with the fact that he's a black man in America right now. Yes, it is hard to be a black man in America. Yeah, and I, I have been helped so much by uh, black brothers and sisters who will level with me and tell me what's actually going on. Yeah, and what I've realized is, I just. I, I, my view of reality is just so limited. Yeah. And I trust them to, uh, I, I trust what they're saying now. I see the world differently now, seeing it through their eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm more committed than ever to carving out by God's grace. I mean, this is, we can't pull this off in our own strength. By God's grace, carving out a, a multi ethnic community here in Nashville, a church that is not um, predominated by any, any, you know, white tradition or, or, or black tradition, but really is a, um, a celebration of all that we bring to the table. Yeah. You know, I need uh, to hear, for instance, uh, my black brothers preach as only they can. And what's what's actually happening is our experience of Jesus is being built out. None of us has within ourselves the total package of humanity except for him. Yeah. And so I, I have a selfish motive in this in that I want more of Jesus. And you know, I, I want as much as we can, obviously, because I mean, the world's a big place and not everybody lives in Nashville, but as much as we can, I want a foretaste of heaven. And when I read heaven, I see every tribe and tongue there uh, worshiping. So we're, we're doing our best to reach for that at Emmanuel and to love one another for Jesus' sake, because we actually think that th- th- there's the gospel we preach and there's the gospel culture that we embody. Yeah. And both of them are speaking to the city. And if we can't embody reconciliation then we have no right to expect anybody to believe our preaching yeah so we pay very close attention to our culture um, and we we call it gospel culture and then as as you know as part of the gospel culture where does the lgbtq plus because yeah people are dying yeah and it's it's actually very near to the heart of emmanuel um even more so than i can say um because of, I, I just want to protect people's stories. You know, sometimes uh, churches put um, people in awkward positions by sort of broadcasting their stories when mm. it's not healthy for them for right. that to be done. So I want to be really careful not to do that. But my friend Sam Alberry, who is um, on his on his way to becoming a hope and Emmanuel. A pastor, but he really already is in spirit, um, has written on this, you know, more, I think, better than anyone out there, frankly. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm not the expert in terms of the um, knowing the ins and outs of the, of the conversation and the words to stay away from and the landmines to step on. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm not the expert in this area, but I will say 
that a, a core aspect of gospel culture is honesty. First mm. John 1 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. So what we see right there is God is out in the light. In other words, he can't not be who he is. There's no hidden corners in God. He's totally honest all the time. Mm, yeah. And when we step out into the light and, um, and, and say, this is who I really am, mm -hmm. we know he's talking about confession of sin because a little later he says, if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. In other words, don't tell me you don't have any sin. Right. <laughs> when we step out into the light and say, this is who I really am in the light of who God is, because he's the standard. Um, of what's true and good and moral. Mm -hmm. When we step out there, two things happen. One, I'm really known. I have fellowship. I mean, we're actually, we're, we're actually entering into friendship. Yeah. But also that's, that's, you know, that's on the horizontal level, but uh, vertically what's happening is the blood of Jesus's son is cleansing us from all sin. So I'm known by you and I'm cleansed by the blood of Christ. And that's, that's a core. Um, we're not. What we're just basically playing religion until we do that. Mm. And it's really, really important for gospel culture for anyone to be able to say anything. So I've heard every sin I think a person can commit confessed, and there is a there has to be safety within a gospel culture for the confession of any sin, however stigmatized it might be in the world. So I don't hesitate to say um, that, uh, you know, a homosexuality, I say this is where it gets complex. Um, I, there are a lot of same-sex attracted uh, members of Emmanuel Nashville faithfully, and I would say heroically, yeah. walking with Jesus. Mm -hmm. There are people who um, are same-sex attracted who are not yet walking with Jesus. And we want to be the kind of place where you can be totally honest and not pressured. Yeah. Because nobody changes that way. Uh, we believe in gospel plus safety plus time. Yeah. It takes a lot. I mean, we just talked, I was probably, I probably heard the gospel for close to 15 years mm. before it really landed. Yeah. And yeah. so Part of what we're doing is carving out a safe place to say, this is who I really am. Even if it's, I don't believe a word y'all are saying, and this is who I really am. Um, you're welcome to be here. Yeah. Um, and then we're just trusting that the Lord can do a work in our hearts over time. I'm trusting in that. I'm the pastor and that's, I'm trusting in that. So you say, you know, usually at the beginning of every service, uh, there's a beautiful, it's very motivating. It's also very, it's very spiritual. And then you, it's in the welcome. Mm -hmm. And then you always say that our, our, our doors are wide open. Yes. So even so if anybody, yeah, anybody, uh, you know, from any culture, any religion, any sexuality could come totally and feel safe. Yes. We believe that Jesus Christ changes hearts mm -hmm. by the power of his love through his, you know, coming full circle, his finished work uh, on the cross mm -hmm. for sins. So I actually don't even feel a pressure on the inside to change anybody. I'm there to yeah. preach Jesus and him crucified, and he does the work. And I don't have to put a timeline on anyone, you know, so like, oh, you've been here three years, you should have changed by now. Yeah. I mean, I'm shocked at how slowly I change. Um, so if if people are willing, if someone is willing to um, maintain that safety, I mean, the only sort of deal breaker is if you want to make it an unsafe place for other people. In other words, gossip. Right. I mean, gossip will, will show you to the door at Emmanuel real quick. Yeah. Paul calls it corrupt communication. Exactly. So, you know, in, in the South, Southern tradition I grew up in, it, you know, people are all up in arms about sexual immorality. Yeah. Um, Actually, I think they should have been up in arms about gossip because they had a whole lot of that. And what it, what it ends up doing, of course, is nobody's going to talk about their sexual immorality. No. You know, who wants to be humiliated? Right. Who's signing up for that? One of the things I'm, I'm realizing lately is we are so complex people. 
and reality is so complex and complicated that any of these very narrow formulaic approaches to life are just that. They don't actually account for the complexity of human beings. Yeah. Uh, so at Emmanuel, we're, we're just trying to, that's what I, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to preach the Bible uh, faithfully, not just the verses that I want to preach, but the whole Bible and let the Lord sort us all out together. Yeah. And he's doing it. Yeah. It's not the it's, it's been, yeah, it's been interesting, the journey, the path and, and, you know, a, a, anyone who's listening that really wants to be healed, you know, God through doctors took my heart out and you've heard this on this podcast a million times and he, he changed it literally by putting the heart of another person in my chest. And then I was so confused, so frustrated, so angry that people had to die for me to live. Um, the only way to wrap my head around that was knowing that Jesus Christ died mm. so that we might all live forever yeah, and that right. we can be risen. But then there's this literal change that takes place like the sun slowly coming up over a period of time that happens to you. And I want you all to know that for me personally, the chains um, that I didn't know were there are gone. There is a freedom. There is like, mm -hmm. you talk about angels with wings as symbolic that now you can actually move. <laughs> you can move and you can love without a, a, the, you know, a line in the sand. Mm -hmm. And it's empowering. And so I'm just super thankful that God led me to the manual to be mentored by UTJ. And um, I know from my experience in, you know, pastoring and leadership, it is not easy. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. Just because you're a pastor doesn't make you uh, righteous or that you're not going to have sin. And I think that's the beauty of of the, the pastors, they stick with it regardless. Because I bet every day there's like, I probably should just quit, <laughs> you know, but but yes. I hope you never do. Yeah, it's it's a hard gig. Um, I knew that going in. Yeah. And, but man, it's just such a privilege, such a joy. And you guys are starting to replant. Yes. And when you say that, basically re uh, restructure the program or re really rediscover together the essentials of what we believe. Yeah. And um, I think it's really healthy to do that every year because mm -hmm. we tend to move away from Jesus because we're still sinners. Yeah. And there is a, that that's true for the pastor as much as for anybody. Well, I guess there's the, the only manual I really have is the Bible. Yeah, that's right. You know, and then uh, we can actually admit yeah. that we are weak. Yes, we are flawed, that we are just a wreck yeah. and stress, anxiety, depression. Yeah. But it's, it, I can't even explain, but he does it. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. It is. And, you know, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, the Apostle Paul writes letters to his protege, to Timothy. And Paul refers to himself in the present tense as a sinner. Um, of who he says, of whom I am the foremost, mm -hmm. not I was, but I am. And he has no problem doing that because he knows that sin's like an iceberg. You know, it runs deep in our hearts. And we're not being saved by our, you know, ability to know ourselves. Yeah. We're being saved by Jesus Christ alone. Mm -hmm. So that's as true for the pastor as it is for anybody. I might actually be the worst sinner in Emmanuel Nashville mm -hmm. because. I have so many opportunities to sin. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I want to make sure that everyone knows, not just that that's like written somewhere in the in the, you know, organizational documents, but I want to say often, you know, if you could see the thoughts, that if you got a text every time I had a lustful thought, I would I would ru I'd run up your data. You wouldn't have any data. Yeah. You know. So I'm just wow. like anyone else, trusting in Jesus moment by moment. Part of our humanity. It's we, part of the process. We have to, in a way, it's almost like those thoughts are there to 
uh, help us refocus. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of the ways that we stay humble. Yeah. And one day we'll be removed from the presence of, of sin altogether. But now <laughs> It'd be so uh, nice. we're, we're battling. I mean, what way Martin Luther says is that the old man is dead, but he's slow yeah. at dying, you know? So that's the, where, that's the, where we're living right now. And I hope you're not doing what Martin Luther used to do, just beat, the, oh, beat no, himself every no. day. So he, he tried to do this whipping <laughs> therapy of beating himself so because he felt so horrible. But oh, uh, that's beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you, Paul. Because you took me.